Well, okay. Now what? Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or hockey, who could blame you at this point? I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. If you're detecting from my tone here early in this episode, yesterday didn't exactly go the way I'd envisioned and hoped for baseball fans in Pittsburgh. The system that'll result from the new labor agreement that was achieved will be either the same or worse for our city, depending on your point of view and which way you pick certain nits. What it won't be is any better. What it will be, undeniably, is badly broken still. And specifically, with the raising of the competitive balance tax, luxury tax, whatever it is that you want to call it, the upper threshold by roughly $40 million over the next five years, what you're going to see is another handful of teams joining the Dodgers in that realm. They won't be where L.A. is because nobody's making the kind of local TV money that L.A. is at $239 million a year. But you're going to see the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Angels and maybe, maybe one or two others, the Cubs possibly, if you want to get into something that looks ominous in the NL Central. You're going to see them up there too. And you're going to see more of a market between them, a market formed. We already started to see and hear and read some of that late last night with the opening of free agency. Freddie Freeman was out there from the Braves. What were the names mentioned? New York and L.A. Carlos Correa is out there. What are the names? New York, L.A. That's how this is going to go. That's the sport. That's the once and forever former national pastime. That's what it's become. It's become a super league of a few teams, and everybody else is just kind of along for the ride. It's promotion, relegation soccer, pro-rel as they call it. And the team that you follow here, can it win? Sure, anything can happen. From 2013 to 15, Pirates made the playoffs. In the last of those years, they had 98 wins. And if it wasn't for the horrible one-and-done format, which is now no longer a thing, that last team probably could have, should have, not that that counts, won the World Series. But because they didn't, because they were out like that in a day, and because they don't have the finances and or don't spend enough of the finances that they do have, and because the system is so grossly out of whack, they go into a spiral for the next decade or so. It takes that long to build back up. People coming back at me 
from the New Yorks or the L.A.'s on social media when I bring up this stuff about how many different teams have made it to the World Series over the last 20 or 30 years or whatever is completely missing the point. Completely missing the point. Baseball's a fickle sport. It's as moody as your next day's pitching. That's why there's a lot of different World Series champions. The difference here, and it's statistically borne out, is that if you're spending, you're in the tournament way more often than not. Therefore, you give yourself a greater chance of winning based on nothing other than your population base and the amount you spend. That's the system now. That's what you've got. Another five years of this. Another five years of digging the hole. But you know what? I'm done with that. I am. And I'm going to keep my word on this. For those of you who've gotten sick of me talking about labor and finances and salary caps and salary floors and expanded revenue sharing and everything else, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. Going to turn the page to baseball and to what it'll take for this team in Pittsburgh to, I guess you'd have to say, beat the system in order to win that long, elusive Sixth World Series championship, the first since 1979. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. There are obvious components when it comes to beating the system. The Rays have illustrated how to do that better than anyone. They compete in a division loaded with halves when it comes to money. They themselves, of course are largely have-nots, spending pretty much what the Pirates do. They just happen to be spectacularly stacked through the miners, in large part because they move their main pieces. They trade them at peak value. And they don't care what their fans have to say about it because they don't have any fans, which actually makes things a little bit easier, believe it or not, on the management in St. Petersburg. Blake Snell. Pitch is great. Looks like the best lefty in all of baseball. Helps the team get to the World Series. Should have been left in to pitch. Then he's gone. Poof. Why is he gone? Because that's when they can get the most amount and the highest quality of prospects back. Is that how they did things in 1965 or 1975 or whatever? No. No, but you didn't have to beat the system back then, not financially. Can the Pirates get away with that sort of thing in Pittsburgh? I don't know that that's their plan. They get a little cringy anytime you bring up the Rays because I don't think they want everyone here imagining that Brian Reynolds and Brian Hayes are gone at peak value. But they might be. No one said that they wouldn't be. The far more realistic path 
at least in terms of conceptual part of it, would be some hybrid form. Would be you load up your farm system to a, I don't know, top six, top five status. Make sure you've got a lot of prospects coming through your pipeline. Make sure that you're focusing on high ceiling types the way Ben Charrington has to date. But then from there, at some point, you got to spend. You got to spend. Bob Nutting voted yes last night at 6 p.m. to this labor agreement. They only give you two options in this vote. It's a yes or a no. And there's a list a mile long of reasons that he should have voted no. Even if it were just symbolic, even if it were just Oakland Raiders style. Remember when the Al Davis owned Raiders used to just, they would always be the one dissenting vote in the NFL. No matter what it was, the sky is blue. Ah, Al Davis, no. Pirates could have done that. Could have sent the message. Could have probably drawn a whole heck of a lot of ire, including from other owners. But they also would have stuck up for the people who should matter the most to them. That, of course, is the fans in Pittsburgh who want there to be a voice, a voice that matters at that level, to have somebody fighting for them, to have somebody hearing their frustration. Nutting didn't do that. He voted yes. And as such, as I see it, well, you know, you can say whatever you want, but you did that. You voted yes, so you're all right with it, right? You're okay with it. System. It's all right. It's fine. If you're an owner of a professional sports team, your top priority should be, don't tell me what it actually is, but it should be winning a championship. So if Nutting votes yes and his top priority is winning a championship, that tells me that he thinks this system is one in which the Pirates can win. I think we'd all agree that they're not going to be the Rays. So that also tells me that he thinks he can spend more than the Rays do. All right, let's see it. I said on this show two weeks ago, I wasn't kidding, that I find it beyond plausible, based on everything that I know about the Pirates' finances and Major League Baseball's finances in general. And I know way too much about this, to be honest with you. A lot of brain space that's wasted on this. Based on all of that, the Pirates absolutely, unequivocally, comfortably should be at $100 million right now. However, I do see reasons why $100 million wouldn't apply in 2022 because of the youth of the roster. The last thing you would do is crowd out real prospects. But I also can state with certainty that this team should be, must be, at $100 million for the 2023 payroll. And if it isn't, it's time to sell the franchise. When we come back, just one question.
back. Today's J1Q comes from James, who asks, so Dan, does the Major League Baseball Players Association voting against the Scott Boris-controlled executive player board weaken his grip on the game at all? I'm in love with this question. I could spend the next five episodes talking about this. But then I just promised everybody I'm going to get back to real baseball with the next show. So I'm going to give this one a shot here in compact form. For anybody who doesn't know, Scott Boris is controlled. And you use the correct term there because he's got five of the eight players on this executive board voted to reject the owner's offer yesterday. And operating in concert, as most executive boards will do, the vote was 8-0. to zero. Somehow, and this hasn't been figured out yet, how this occurred, this still went to a broader vote of player reps, all 30 of them. And that would include Chris Stratton of the Pirates. And when it went out to these player reps, they ratified the deal by an overwhelming vote of 26 to 4. 26 to 4. Yankees, Mets, Astros, and Cardinals were the only ones who opposed. So Stratton voted yes. And Boris finally lost, here's that word again, control of the personal battle that he'd been waging against Major League Baseball. Now, where have you been hearing that for months? Didn't come out nationally until yesterday, but I've been talking about it here since last summer, that this was going to be dictated by Boris and what his vision was of what Major League Baseball's economic structure should be. Even so, he still got a ton of stuff that was personalized, might as well have had his initials on them. Like, they're even going to call it the Kumar Rocker Rule, the one that was installed to make sure that nothing else ever happens the way it happened to Boris represented Rocker coming out of the draft last year when the Mets took him but then found out that he had an elbow issue and Boris denied that and the Mets ended up paying him $0 and Boris said, this is outrageous. He should be guaranteed some money. Well, now players in the future will be guaranteed that money. So he gets all kinds of stuff that he wanted out of it. But this final vote flew right back in his face. And even before it occurred when there started to be rumblings, Boris doesn't like this, Boris is going to have his people reject this. You started to see people who had been openly outspoken, player advocates, union advocates, piping up against Boris for the first time. For the first time. And what's all this mean for his future I strongly suspect he's going to be okay. You know, he's kind of set for life. But his influence with the union, his stacking of the executive board, you watch, that'll never happen again. Mark my words. 
not just because the players saw it and the players didn't like it and the players ended up casting their votes overwhelmingly against him, but also I can promise you that Tony Clark and the rest of the union leadership don't appreciate it either. You watch. He will not be part of the next set of negotiations five years from now, which coincidentally is the next time I plan on discussing this particular subject. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates, and in all seriousness, I am looking forward to getting down to Bradenton sometime. Formal reporting for spring training, I'm told as of last night, is supposed to open Sunday at Lecom Park. And for better or worse, we'll be talking real baseball again. You know, and I don't mind that. It would just be nice if it came in a much fairer context. We'll talk Monday.